I do not know you. Therefore stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, this is not the stuff we are used to hearing from Jesus. We want to hear about his father's love for us, his patience with us. We so much prefer the comforting image of God as a loving father running at breakneck speed to embrace a repentant son, forgetting that the son had to first repent, meaning he had to turn away from the errors of his perception, thinking, and actions, a total conversion of heart. There are only two eternal destinies for a human soul, union with God, heaven, eternal separation from God, hell. Last week, we celebrated All Saints Day and reflected on the reality that our loved ones in heaven are more alive than we are. And out of love, they assist us with their prayers. On the Monday following, we celebrated All Souls Day and reflected on those who died in friendship with God but require a period of purification before they can enter into heaven and how we can assist them with our prayers and works of charity. Today, we have to look at the reality of hell. It is interesting to compare the frequency of Jesus' statements about heaven and hell, keeping in mind that there are different contexts in which the words are used, it is interesting nonetheless that in Matthew's gospel, Jesus mentions hell nine times, while he refers to heaven 68 times. In Mark's gospel, Jesus refers to hell three times and to heaven 11 times. In Luke's gospel, Jesus speaks of hell three times and heaven 21 times. There are several things we can take from this. The first is that Jesus, in union with his Father, desires the salvation of every human being. That is his focus. But is our salvation our focus? Second, Jesus, in union with his Father, has supreme respect for human free will, which leads to the third conclusion and a rather chilling one. Each person is responsible for his or her own eternal destiny. God never sent anyone to hell. If I end up in hell, it is because I chose by word and action and lack of repentance to reject eternal life with God. Now, this was an eye-opener for me, having been raised in a Calvinist branch of Christianity that taught one was predestined for either heaven or hell, and there was no personal choice in the matter whatsoever. Whatever one's fate, said one pastor, it was a manifestation of God's justice. That never sat well with me. The very notion that there is a hell seems so contrary to everything we hear about God. 
Hence the perpetual question asked by believers, non-believers, and skeptics. If God is all good and all loving, why is there a hell? And the best answer I can give is precisely because God is all good and all loving, there must be a hell for those who insanely reject the grace of salvation. One day as an undergraduate student in a philosophy lecture, I was struck by a comment made by the professor. One is not saved against his or her will. Let me say that again. One is not saved against his or her will. God offers the graces one needs, but one must respond to those graces. And God has established a boundary with us he never violates. He accepts and he respects our choices, even if they result in our damnation. This is the great risk he takes with us. That is how seriously he takes our words, our thoughts, our actions. This is how much he loves us. This is why hell exists. Now human nature rightly recoils at the very idea of hell. There was a brilliant theologian and scripture scholar by the name of Origen lived between 185 and 254. He crafted a theory that comes down to us in the Greek word apocatastasis. Want to try that one out? Apocatastasis. Apo, come on, apocatastasis. Now, this term had long been in secular use in the ancient world. In astronomy, the word was used for the time it took for a planet to complete an orbit. In, a, in medicine, it was used to describe a patient who returns to a previous state of health. In law, it was used to describe the restoration of one's rights and property. Christian theologians use the term to describe the mystery of redemption, of being restored to one's true dignity by the sacrificial death of Christ. Origen, however, used the term to imply that all those in hell will, at the end of time, be restored to an earlier primitive state of happiness, though not the joys of heaven. Now, some accused Origen of holding that the devil and the demons will also be restored, though we now know Origen denied this in a letter he calls Letter to His Friends at Alexandria. Origen, like so many today, just could not reconcile the existence of hell with an all-loving God. And his teaching was soundly rejected by the bishops of the church at the First Ecumenical Council of Nicaea in 325, the same council that gave us the creed. But why did the bishops reject Origen's teaching? Because the wisdom of the church, guided by the Holy Spirit, is wiser than that of any theologian, scripture scholar, pope, or saint. The church understood then and understands today that the mystery of hell 
is intricately enmeshed with the mystery of God giving us free will and respecting our choices. God created us out of love to share in his glory. God empowers us to live in this world loving him freely without coercion or not to love him. Each person is solely responsible for how he or she uses that freedom. There are only two eternal destinies for the human soul, heaven or hell. And the choices we make as free, rational creatures in this life have eternal consequences.